All right, the children may be uh, released to go to children's choir. So this morning, uh, we're going to read, you can open your Bibles up to Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3. I think it is, if you're looking from a pew Bible, on page 777. If that's not the page, uh, don't make me feel bad about it. I'm just going off of memory. But Micah chapter 3. Read along with me as I read. And I said, Hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its head gives judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because, you, Zion, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountains of the house a wooded height. Please be seated. Our Father, this is your word. Your word that is good and pleasing. Your word that is given to us delight given to us as a gift, as a good gift for us, for our good and for our benefit. We ask that you would bless your reading and your giving of your word today, Lord God, that our hearts might be moved to you, might be moved to worship you, might be moved to hear you, might be moved to obey you, might be moved to lay aside all that is opposed to you, all that is against you, all that is not like you. We ask for your blessing today, Lord, and for your grace, that as we hear your words, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to obey. Empower us today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So Micah chapter 3 is the second of the three major sections of oracles within this prophecy of Micah. Each of the three oracles begin with the call to hear. Chapter 1 begins with the call for all the people to hear. Samaria, the capital city of Jerusalem, the northern kingdom, uh, I'm sorry, the capital city of, 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 uh, of Israel, the northern kingdom, and Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, the southern kingdom, or the cities where the human governance and leadership were headquartered. And it's from these places where unfaithfulness to God, their idolatry emanated and metastasized to all the people. For it was the calling and the duty of the civil leaders and the religious leaders to act faithfully and justly in accordance with their covenantal relationship with God, but they failed to do so. It was not that they were ignorant of what was required of them that they failed, nor was it because they were not given what was needed in order to fulfill their calling and duty that they failed. They failed because they did not continue to seek after the one who loved them. They sought after other lovers. Lovers whom they thought would satisfy their insatiable desires, these sinful desires that only develop because they left their God, the one who truly loved them. The God whom the psalmist speaks of in Psalm 37:4 when he says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But they did not delight themselves in the Lord. They were idolatrous, delighting themselves in that which was not God. Therefore God, through Micah, pronounced judgment upon them and promised to mete out justice to them. Pastor Joe communicated to us in the previous weeks the first indictment against Samaria and Jerusalem, the indictment for failing to love the Lord God, evidenced by their idolatry as told in chapter 1. He also communicated the second indictment against Samaria and Jerusalem, the indictment for failing to love their neighbor as themselves, evidenced by their covetousness as described in chapter 2. Now, if there was a third indictment against Samaria and Jerusalem, it would be the indictment for failing to act justly and to administer justice, as declared in chapter 3. See, when the first commandment is broken and idolatry becomes prevalent, spiritual deterioration has already occurred. And spiritual deterioration will eventually lead to or manifest itself in moral deterioration. Moral deterioration will be evident in every aspect of life. It will be evident from the goings on of the common people to the governmental affairs of the leadership. So let's place our attention now on chapter 3, verse 1 where Micah addresses the heads of Jacob 
and rulers of the house of Israel. You see, he asked this question in chapter one of in chapter three of verse verse one. He asked this question: Is it not for you to know justice? Obviously, that is a rhetorical question meant to bring emphasis to something that is glaringly wrong among these who are the heads of Jacob and rulers of Israel. As the leaders and rulers of God's people, they should be the people who do what? Who make righteous laws and rules. They should be the people who settle disputes in a just manner according to the law. They should be people who acquit the innocent and condemn the guilty. As leaders and rulers of God's people, they should administer the affairs of the government with honesty and integrity and righteousness. They should protect the people from physical harm. They should protect the property of the people. They should promote the well-being of the people. As leaders and rulers of God's people, they should rule for the benefit of the people. They should lead the people toward faithfulness and loyalty to their God and keeping the covenant. But they did not know justice. They loved the evil and hated the good. They were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel the shepherds of Israel that will lead their sheep to green pastures, to sweet waters, protecting them from the predators. But you know, they were the predators. Micah describes them in verse 2 of chapter 3. He describes them as those who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones. See, in my mind, when I read that, it brings to me this imagery of a ferocious animal attacking its prey to eat it, using its claws to tear the skin off of that thing, and then its sharp, pointed teeth to bite into to, to that animal and to rip it apart as it eats it. That's the imagery it brings to my mind when I read this passage. He goes on to say, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. That brings another imagery to my mind. This one is not as, uh, as, uh, as wild as a wild animal would be. This is, this, is not, this is a little bit more sophisticated. It reminds me of a chef, how he might take a piece of meat and he fillets that thing all nice and delicately. And he prepares it, cuts it up, prepares it, and puts it in the pot because he's going to make a delicious meal. So it doesn't matter. The whole thing is that these leaders, instead of being those who would protect the people from, those who would, from the predators, those who would devour them, it was the leadership themselves who were doing this to the people, who were devouring the people. Those who should know justice only knew injustice. And they showed that because of the, how the way they treated the people. They were the ones who benefited from, uh, from taking things from the people, from making their lives more difficult, for uh, bringing 
death to them instead of life to them. See, that all happened because, first of all, they left God. And because they left God, there's no other place to go but to decline toward all these things that we've already seen happening to them. Because they did not commit themselves to the one God, the God who made himself known to them. There's only one place to go, and that is down. The only they can do is decline. Decline into covetousness. Decline into this that we see from them right now. Injustice. Injustice. And everything else that would happen because they have not sought the God who saved them, the God who delivered them, the God who brought them into a relationship with himself. These people were the ones who were the predators. They were the ones who showed no mercy when the people cried out. They were the ones who, when they cried out, even took more from them, who caused their lives to be hard and difficult. They were the ones who did not do, who did not hold up to the things that they should have held up to as the leaders of God's people. And so what, what happens? Micah pronounces a judgment upon them, saying what is going to occur, what God is going to do when the time comes when the leaders themselves face this very same kind of situation. He says in verse 4, then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time. You know what hiding his face is like? It's like God turns around and turns his back away from them, turns his face away from them, as if nothing is happening to them. He just turns away from them. and pays no attention to them because God is going to bring judgment upon them. God is going to mete out justice to them because of the injustice that they did to his people. Oh, what a dreadful thing to have God turn his back on you. But God is just. He does that for, doesn't do that for any reason. He says he will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Micah continues to talk about the leaders of Israel. But he changes his focus from those who are the civil leaders to those who are the religious leaders. And let me read to you what he says in verse 5. He says, Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who put nothing into their mouths. Oh, listen to that word. The prophets were not supposed to lead the people astray. The prophets here are taking the words that they give to lead the people away from God. And why are they doing that? Because as, just as we were informed earlier about this covetousness, they too were in the grips of this particular sin. They were committing idolatry, worshiping something else. And they were desiring to get all that they wanted to get from those who could supply it to them which were the people themselves. So they led the people astray, away from God. They did not lead them back to God as prophets were supposed to do. And so this was the indictment for them that they were leading the people astray. You know, when it says when they have something to eat, 
the word eat there is not the typical word that's used for eat in the Hebrew. It is the word that is used of a snake taking a bite in order to kill its prey so that it can eat it. You see, the snake doesn't take a bite to eat its prey. The snake takes a bite so this venom can go into its prey. And once its prey is paralyzed, it can still even be alive. The snake will just begin to suck that uh, prey into its body to eat that prey. And so it is as if these prophets are profiting from the evil deeds that the leaders are doing. And the leaders, as long as the leaders continue to, to, to supply them with that which they want, money, food, whatever it is that they desire of these material things, the prophets would speak peace to them, will say good words to them. And when they don't do that, then the prophets would speak war against them. It is as if the prophets were thinking that they could speak the words that they would want to speak and God would fulfill what they say. Instead of doing what prophets are supposed to do, and that is speak the words of God to the people and God would fulfill his words before the people. And the judgment that will come upon those will be, as Micah tells us, therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. There will be a day come when they will not be able to say a word. They will have no vision. They will not receive any divination. A divination is, is an idolatrous thing in itself where the prophets are seeking using mediums and, and, and uh, uh, contact with the dead and with other things in order to find out what uh, it is they seek to find out. But there will be a day when none of that occurs, when destruction is going to come upon them that they won't be able to say anything. They won't be able to speak a word because they know that that word will not be that which is true. Because for them, there will be no answer from God, from them at all. See, we have, we have the leaders. God's turning his back on them as judgment is coming upon them. And for these prophets who are speaking falsely, there will be no word at all that comes to them from God. But there is light. Because Micah, says something about himself here. He says, as for me, now he is not boasting about his ability to speak God's word to the people. He's not even boasting about the station he has as a prophet. All he is saying that which is true of him. And that is he being filled with power, meaning that he is able to speak the true words of God because God is the one who gives him those words to speak. He says, but as for me, I am filled with power with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sins. Oh, what a blessing it is when God decides to send someone to declare, to declare transgressions and to declare sins. What a blessing it is. And so why is it that God would do that. Why is it a blessing? 
when God sends someone to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sins, as it was mentioned previously, the prophet's task was to remind the people of God that they were in a covenant relationship with God. And in doing that, they also reminded them that they were breaching that covenant. And the breach of the covenant comes with consequences. See, the prophet had to help the people look back to the covenant so that they could remember that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who made them a people, it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who brought them out of slavery in Egypt. So that they could remember that it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who gave them good and righteous laws to govern them. That it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who brought them into the land of milk and honey. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who led them to victory over their enemies in the land. The prophets was to bring them back to the covenant so that they could remember that it is the God of Abraham and Jacob who made them into a great and mighty kingdom with great kings whom the nations feared. That it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who caused them to prosper and have wealth. That it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they sinned by his great mercy and his love for them kept them from being overtaken and utterly destroyed by their enemies. They were to look back to the covenant so that they might remember the good and glorious God that they belong to and turn away from that which is not God and turn back to God. But I think that there's another reason why God would send someone like Micah to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sins. And that would be so that they would be made aware so that they might repent from their sin and turn to God in humility and obedience and receive the forgiveness of God that he promises to those who return to him and receive his blessing upon them. Jeremiah, who prophesied to Judah more than 100 years after Micah, records the word of the Lord in Jeremiah 18, 7 and 8, where he says, If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. God does not declare to every nation that he's going to pluck up, break down, and destroy it because of their sin and rebellion, what does he do? He just does it. He just pluck them up. He breaks them down, and he destroys them. He doesn't declare that to every nation. But he says in his word that if he declares that to a nation, he's going to do this thing, and that nation turns around and repents, that God is going to relent. You know what that means? God's not going to do what he said he was going to do because they met the condition of repenting. And so it is a mercy of God if God chooses to declare to a nation that he's going to pluck them up, break them down, and destroy them. It is a mercy of God. 
Certainly, if they don't turn, God will do just what he said. But it's the mercy of God that he would be willing to say that to a nation, to give them opportunity to turn and to repent. But I would say this to you as well. As with nations, so it is with individuals. God has declared that the soul that sins will surely die. He has also declared that it has been appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. See, if you have heard that word, that God has said that the soul that sins will surely die, that's a declaration he's making. That's a declaration of the judgment that's going to come upon the sinner. The one who is just like the nation of Israel, who is engaged in idolatry, loving this thing, this idolatry, loving this God that they have fashioned in their own minds. Because see, we don't really, in this nation, we don't really fashion gods by our hands for the most part. And I guess we could do that. Somebody else could fashion a God for us. Maybe somebody else built a house for us, and so we live to serve that house. Or somebody else built a car for us, and we live to serve that car. Or whatever it is. Maybe it's the job. We have this job, and that's the job that gives us all kinds of fulfillment and joy and happiness. We are content to the utmost, and, and, and that we wouldn't know what to do if we didn't have that job. We wouldn't be able to live life. Or maybe it's a person. If that person didn't exist, we wouldn't know what to do. Because we hold that person up. We put that person in the position of God. There could be so many other things as well. Maybe it's our own selves. So I think ultimately it is our own selves. When we're idolatrous, ultimately we're worshiping ourselves because we're making everything the way we want it to be. Because we're not satisfied with God who made everything the way he wanted it to be. He even made us the way he wanted to make us. And yet we can rebel against that. That is this state of sin that a person can exist in outside of God. And that is the sin that brought about death to human beings. That is the sin where God declares that the soul that sinneth will surely die. And the thing is, is that every single soul, except for one, that has existed on this earth has sinned. Every single one has sinned. And so if you hear the declaration that the soul that sinned will surely die as a judgment because of their sin against God, that's a mercy of God upon you. It's a mercy. If you hear that declaration, and you know that you've sinned against God. You know that you really haven't been following him. You know that you've been living the life the way you wanted to live your own life. Then you need to pay attention. You need to recognize this as a mercy from God. Because he's not obligated to declare that to you. He's not obligated to declare that again to you. Remember earlier I told you. He doesn't make that declaration to every nation that he's going to pluck them up, break them down, and destroy them. 
He surely made that declaration to Israel. But there was a lot of nations that existed during that time that he didn't make that declaration to. We don't read of any prophet going to those nations and God making this declaration. We do read of a prophet going to Nineveh. We read of Jonah who was before Micah, just a little bit before Micah. We read of Jonah going to Nineveh and making a, 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 a declaration to Nineveh. In, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. See, he made a declaration to Nineveh because God sent Jonah to Nineveh to make that declaration. Jonah didn't want to make that declaration. But he ended up making that declaration to Nineveh. And Nineveh took that declaration seriously. They repented and they were not destroyed. At least not at that time. They were not destroyed. And so I say to you, if God would do that with individuals, he would do that with people as well. Because certainly he's not a liar. So if he makes that declaration, take it seriously. Take it seriously. Because there is a time that judgment is going to come upon you. He promises that as well. Now I don't say that to make you afraid. I'm just telling you what God has said. Because see, that declaration had to apply to me also. It had to apply to me. I had to pay attention to it as well. I had to take it seriously myself. I had to think about what that meant. That God is going to bring judgment. What could I do if God brings judgment? How could I stop him? What power do I have? I have none at all. If God were to say to me right at this moment, cease to breathe, you would see me fall and hit the floor. Or hit the podium. I would do something. I just wouldn't be standing like this because I have no power to stop God from doing what he's going to do. I have no power and neither do you. But God has provided a means by which we can escape that judgment from him because he were willing to make the declaration to you. There's a means by which he would be willing to grant forgiveness and to stay off that judgment that he would bring upon you if you are a sinner today. And that is by looking to Jesus. See, God is able to forgive. He's able to wipe away our crimes against him, our sins against him, because he laid all those sins on Jesus. It is as if he took the sins out of our account and put them into Jesus' account. But not only did he do that, he took the righteousness that was in Jesus' account and put it in our account. So that when he looks in our account, he sees righteousness. Not our own righteousness, because we weren't righteous at all. He sees Jesus' righteousness. And then he looks at Jesus and he sees sin. And he judged Jesus. He punished Jesus. He put Jesus on the cross. He turned his back on Jesus. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God turned his back on Jesus and poured out his judgment, his wrath on Jesus. And so if you want to know how it is that you can escape that judgment, 
that will surely come to you. Because God said, it has been appointed to man once to die, and then the judgment. How you can escape that judgment? Look to Jesus. Trust Jesus. Because God is serious about the judgment that he would bring upon people, upon individuals, even upon you if you have not looked to Christ and sought forgiveness, confessed your sins, and turned away from your sins, repented, saying, God, I don't want to do that anymore. It's against you. It's sin. Please forgive me. Help me to not live that way anymore. I want to live for you from now on. I want to get rid of my idolatry and the injustice that even I as an individual can perform against other people. Help me, Lord. Help me. If you cry out to him in that manner, he will not do as he said he would do to these leaders. When in verse 3, verse 4, he says, they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will not do that to you. He will hear and answer you. So let me move on. All right. So while the rulers and the leaders did not act justly or administer justice, and the prophets showed themselves to be prophets for sale, fabricating good speech to suit their clientele, God will not show partiality. God will be just toward the just and the unjust. He will administer justice to the righteous and the wicked. He will act justly toward the sinner and the saint. He will mete out justice against the rebellious and for the benefit of the obedient. Listen as I read verses, begin reading at verses 9 in Micah. He said, hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its head gives judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. How deceived are these people? They're, they're thinking because the temple is sitting in Jerusalem. Because they perform the sacrifices daily. One in the evening and one in the, one in the morning and one in the evening. Because people bring sacrifices to God. Because they do all those uh, ritualistic things because they do all those uh, spiritual things, what would seem to be spiritual things, because they follow the, uh, the uh, ritual of Judaism because they have the temple of God there because they attend the synagogues and the temple worship because they do all those things they think that they're okay with God but they're not they're deceived they're deceived, and we know they're deceived because they ask the question when God already has these things against them. They ask that question, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us because we're good. Certainly, we do not want to be people who are deceived in that way. 
God pronounces what's going to happen to Jerusalem because of the attitude of those leaders. Because they think that the temple is there. They think that they are immune to the judgment of God. They think that because they perform all the outward duties of religion toward God, that they are immune to his justice. And this is what God says will happen. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. Jerusalem is going to be brought down. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The temple is going to be brought down, disassembled, become a heap of ruins. That's the judgment that God is going to bring on his people, this nation that's his people, because of their idolatry, their covetousness, and their injustice. Now, you know, Brother Joe told us that in the book of Micah, we have these times of judgment and these times of hope. But you know, in chapter 3, we didn't really see much hope there, did we? It just seemed like judgment. Just judgment. But again, see, that's not the end. While chapter 3 starts that second oracle, that's just the first part of it. Now, now uh, next week, we'll be looking at chapter 4, but in chapter 4 is where we see the hope that's going to come. And that is certainly something to look forward to. It's certainly something for that remnant that would have been in Jerusalem and even in Samaria at that time for them to look forward to. That hope that God would give to his people. That, that hope that God would give to those whom, whom would look, who would look up to him and confess their sins before him and submit themselves to the rulership and authority of God. Because if God created us for him in the first place, that's the best place for us to be it's under his rulership and under his authority. We can't lose when we're there. We think we might have the answer by doing things our own way, but God made us for him. And he knows exactly the way that we ought to go. And the way that he knows we ought to go surely is the best way for us to go. It provides us the best benefit now and later. There's nothing better that we can have in this life presently than what God has for us in this life presently. Even if it doesn't feel like it. Even if it doesn't look like it. If it doesn't smell like it. If it doesn't taste like it. What God has for us is always the best thing. The nation of Israel and Judah did not recognize that. But we are. We are to recognize that. The church of God is to recognize that. We don't have to have gimmicks to promote who God is in this world. We don't have to have marketing schemes. We don't have to appeal to the lust, the insatiable desires of people. No, we just need to be a people who are faithful to God 
because God will destroy people outside of the church and people who are in the church that are unfaithful to him. People who are in the visible church that are unfaithful to him. But there is hope. There is hope. It's God, God himself will indeed, through Jesus Christ, bring hope to those who would look to him. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this word that you have given to us in Micah. We thank, we're thankful to you that you are a just God, that you would not uh, condemn the innocent and acquit the guilty, but that you, Lord, are the righteous God, and you will pay back those who do evil. You will mete out justice to those who, uh, who perpetrate injustice. We th we're thankful to you, Lord, that you can be trusted, that all the wrongs that have been committed to us, to all the uh, evil deeds that have, that have happened, uh, to all the things, the cheating and the lying and the deception that people have uh, perpetrated upon your people, that you will indeed uh, bring judgment upon those and bring those people into justice. We're also grateful to you, Lord, that you have made it so that we could hear your declaration and that you gave us hearts to uh, take your declaration seriously, to turn from, away from our sin, to repent about our thinking of you, and to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that you would empower your word in our lives, empower us that we might be a people who look to you in obedience and faithfulness, out of love for you, and not merely out of obligation. We give you thanks, in Jesus' name, amen.